0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Uncle Jay's Lounge, or maybe it's your first time here. We're just a casual conversation podcast, uploaded every Tuesday, giving you a rundown on current events, news, entertainment, obscure facts, a little improv, and more things you should know in fast-paced podcast episode.
1: I'm your host Julian, my co-host Jordan. How you doing, dude? I'm doing great, man. Hell of an intro. Hey, everybody. I'm another Uncle Jay, and we're hanging out in the lounge. And I think Julian said it best, man. It's going to be a good podcast. It's going to be a fun one. Let's get into it. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. hmm? Damn straight, Uncle Tony. You
0: may have clicked on today's episode asking, what is an NFT? What is a non-fungible token? And we're here to give you a layman's answer, a very casual conversation on what this new trend we could see go into the future of non-fungible tokens coming off of the back of cryptocurrency. So, Jordan, I have to ask you, non-fungible tokens. What are your initial thoughts and observations of an NFT?
1: So my very, very initial thought was this word sounds made up, fungible. (laughs) (laughs) Secondly, after I figured out what it was, I was kind of interested. So essentially to catch you guys up to speed, a non-fungible token is essentially a digital marker of identity. So you can say that this thing is a... Basically is kind of like a ledger sheet to make sure that there is unique and identifiable things to let's say direct or uh, organize. So in a lot of interesting ways, you can find knowledge fungible tokens in some kind of like really new tech. And so that could either be buying e-real estate or even going and buying actual clips from NBA games. And what that means is that you essentially own that piece of property, digital property, and you could do what you want with it. And I find it just kind of like a really interesting way of almost privatizing digital assets in a way that we haven't necessarily seen before, right? Real groovy breakdown there, I think. Essentially, the way I look at it. It's as a a
0: VIN number or a serial number on a gun or a very unique identifier or tattoo in some regards placed on these digital assets that make them unique and authentic. And the first thing that came to mind, as Jordan mentioned, with NBA clips and e-real estate, which is a whole nother conversation in itself, is and I'm looking at it as a, a sort of digital art collection or exclusivity in terms of purchasing because the question people are always asking is why is that painting worth so much well one that depends on what you're willing to pay but also because you know it is an authentic piece of from Van Gogh or Rothko or Basquiat or you know that that shoe was actually worn by LeBron James or you know that was the hat worn by your favorite jazz musician it's that authenticity that gives something value to look back on at a ledger or a certificate of authentication to understand that that is a real asset and that's the real thing. As we're seeing, as the internet is growing so rapidly, it's very easy just to screenshot or download something and have it. But is it having the real
1: thing? That's where the conversation starts. It does. And I feel like this is actually something that really really does something interesting when it comes to the strengths and weaknesses of digital world and just to run through those i think the strengths and weaknesses are the speed in which you can get things um, scalability as far as digital goes and of course when you have weaknesses you're talking about not having it tangibly and being able to manipulate something with your hands so to speak so i find it quite interesting and Outside of your actually really, really good description, Julian, what's stopping somebody from saying, how do I know that you're just not selling me a part of the Brooklyn Bridge? Like, of course, you have this identifiable asset that you can actually demark and say, this is it right here due to this serial or VIN number. But I feel like you don't own like e-real estate or something like that, where you don't own like, yeah, you own kind of the the rights to this thing. But I feel like that flouts in the way of the actual true nature of the internet, where things are shared. So, especially with an NBA clip, like you know, could you imagine if the the clip where Michael Jordan
0: mm-hmm.
1: shoots that free throw jumper uh, against the Jazz, if you know, you had to see that from for like pay, paying for it through like some sort of like Netflix or something like that? I feel like it's a it it really makes an interesting case for playing against some of the strengths of the digital world. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a, it's a loaded question. I think it's very, very tough to see
0: where it's going, but there is the value I see potentially maybe that highlight of MJ hitting a game winner over the Utah jazz never gets replayed and someone owns that entire game on a non fungible token of some regards or maybe that game or a practice wasn't televised or filmed, and that landed on a non-fungible token. That's where the value in that exclusivity happens. However, with common goods, I don't know where the value is coming from, as we say in that NBA lane, of having a clip of LeBron's crazy dunk the other night or a Steph Curry three-pointer to go into the finals because millions of people are watching that on TV and someone could just DVR that and save it. So what is the point of having the authentic piece? And maybe there's some added value that we aren't familiar with that's occurring. Maybe it's a certain camera angle or certain audio or it's multiple camera angles. It's all these things that can be used as assets down the line for documentaries or interviews that are valuable to that production or just having that piece of history. I guess the same could go for in my realm. You know, I enjoyed sneakers, right? What's the difference between one pair of sneakers and the other when a bunch of people have them? If you were to have an authentic pair of Jordans worn in 1985 that are worth, you know, tens of thousands of dollars or even hundreds of thousands of dollars versus a re release, what's the difference? That's where I think it falls into the greater fool category, where it's only going to be bought by someone who's willing to pay that price until someone's stuck with that item and it's very new to see where it's going but it makes me wonder you know what are your thoughts on some other areas that a non-fungible token can be utilized that's amazing that you
1: asked me that question because that's kind of where my mind was going next so essentially there are places where i feel like it can be a success and those places actually they need to have a setup or scenario where the actual experience itself is released and confined in very controlled ways. So the, the perfect example of this would be the actual, you might be observing the basketball game, but I could see the non fungible token being the actual like biometric data of these guys. So actually measuring heart rate, blood pressure, electrical impulses of the muscles, brainwave patterns and stuff like that I find that could be possibly something where you might be observing the game but this one guy owns all the biometric data of the players that could be interesting or for instance here's a perfect real world example of it not with non-fungible tokens but just kind of the auction process of something similar you know we have an entire Wu-Tang clan album that the world has never seen Because Martin Shkreli bought it because there was only one copy of it and he's just hanging out in prison now. So there's tons and tons of examples of, I guess maybe not tons, but there's certain examples where this thing can actually have legs and maybe grow a little bit. But you have to be very particular with the things you do. And I'm not sure that particularly NBA clips are one of those, but maybe I'm offbeat. What do you what do you think in here?
0: I think that's a perfect example is the Wu-Tang album that was bought and sold for one person. One person has access to it. I also think an example of, you know, you touching on data is very, very favorable in the future as all of these companies are aggregating this data, so to speak. And one of the things we we briefly touch on is the value that's happening in these NFTs and the same process that's happening with the value of cryptocurrency is that it's being housed on the blockchain. I mean, you're looking at Bitcoin that's worth, at the point of this podcast, it's worth 43,384 USD for this digital coin, or the equivalent of 35,855 euros. And it's all housed on this blockchain to see who has owned this over time, how many people have owned this token, how many people have, you know, how many times it's been traded and sold and all of these things. So even further to your point, Jordan, is maybe, you know, that Wu-Tang album or maybe an interview with Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos comes out and you see, hey, it looks like Kanye West owned this and Warren Buffett also owned this. And, you know, Jimi Hendrix had this at one point in time, rest in peace, Jimi Hendrix. But you could use that value as well to see who else has owned this down the line creating value within itself to say, Oh, you know, I have that original Curry three pointer with biometrics and unique camera angles in this token. And there's only 10 of them. But what makes it more valuable is that also is verifiable that LeBron also owns this and that Jordan owns this and all these things factor into it. It's going to be very interesting to see how they're rolled out and what they're used for. Is it just going to be commodities and traded goods? Like pokemon cards or pieces of art or digital recipes you know wine recipes for your favorite wine how does that happen down the line is where i get real curious but before we hop back into nfts we're going to take a quick break where jordan is going to give us an improv ad read on selling the first nft uncle Jay's
1: lounge token Uncle tony's gonna to do a little demo you've known them from their funny quips their uncle Toniness, but you don't know The Uncle Jay's Lounge podcast until you own the NFT of the prototype and demos, the cold evenings in the apartment, the hot wings, the slamming guitar hero and smoking that skin wagon. And before you go dirty, that's not what you're thinking. So this is why you need the exclusive rights to the Uncle Jay's Lounge idea think tank and why you need it now. <laughs> Boom. Insane. I bought it. What you think, bro? I bought Head it. a little close yep, to home. There it is. And I think that, that's
0: a great, great job there. I think the Guitar Hero bit, fantastic. And I think that's the value in an NFT. You surmise it well is that one person or 10 people who listen to this episode could buy this episode. And they'll be the only 10 to have it or to hear it. And down the line. If Jordan and myself become multimillionaires who are running trips to space, you can have the first instance of that conversation or the first idea coming from that NFT. And I think that's where a lot of the value comes in. I think it's going to start in common assets like, you know, microtransaction and loot in video games as NFTs. It's going to happen at for digital shoes or digital paintings or Pokemon cards is where we're going to see it. But I think as you alluded to, Jordan, I think that is going to move into data and conversations and information occurring on the web that has valuable information down the road that someone is going to say, hey, now I can sell this for $10,000, even though I originally bought it for, you know, 80 bucks. It's just kind of how that stuff works, which is very interesting in that process.
1: I really, I really do think, you know, the more that we talk about it. The more i'm kind of getting into it 100 maybe it was just that i had to sell it and really had to believe in it with that a uh, little bit of improv but i i think that there's so much value to the data aspect of it and the fact that what would you pay for einstein's weight brainwave patterns when he figured out the theory of relativity or something like that i feel like there's so much to do there or to grow on there that i see nft happening in a really successful way but once we have that data to be measured and analyzed in really really meaningful ways and particularly biometric stuff so yeah dude i'm totally about it and out of curiosity julian what would be something that you would own right now if you if you could like put your if you could own the NFT of a certain piece of content or piece of information, what would you own right now? And this is going to be an an interesting answer. And I'm
0: going to pick from moments in time uh, that have happened in the past of NFTs were around or the ability to be transcribed into an NFT. You know, one thing I definitely have is Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. I think that should be available. I think people should have it. But for this this example in this project of valuable NFTs, I would definitely own that because that is a piece of history down the line that will be bought or someone will be interested in. Same with Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. I think that's something that could be very interesting. I also would maybe go for an NFT in regards to, you know, maybe LeBron James, If we stay on sports, his final interview, having that access, or maybe having the data on, like you said, either Einstein or the other, the other German scientists who created up the nuclear bomb, what are oh, you're talking about Oppenheimer, what Oppenheimer, like what that first conversation was when Oppenheimer said, Hey, I have this idea or Einstein said, Hey, I learned about this idea or, you know, that type of thing is a immense piece of history and value that I could see worth something down the line how about yourself i really like
1: the ownership of the i have a dream speech and things of that nature but i would go the opposite way and i would own an nft so that no matter what happens nobody can take this away from the public so you can almost own something so that it is accessible to everyone and that nobody else can essentially take that right away from people and I feel like that would be kind of the ultimate altruist NFT move is to make it flip this thing on its head and have ownership of something to make sure that everybody can have ownership of it. So you'd be the the Robin Hood of NFT. Yeah. I mean, Robin Hood, maybe depending on uh, depending on if you're a stock trader or not, that <laughs> might not sound that great. But the original Robin Hood, <laughs> the original Robin Hood of stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. Or, you know, stealing from time and giving to infinity Mm -hmm. as far as having people. So that would be, I would think the United States amendments would be a good thing to kind of uh, have the NFT on. But if I'm thinking, obviously, like, let me rule the world on this stuff. I would have the NFT, the actual chemical compounds or the let's let's do this. The actual like gravitational measurements and energy measurements of like how the Big Bang was created. Imagine that like the key to the universe, you have the property of, that would be incredible. I can picture it now. The world versus Jordan. Jordan owns the NFT for all of
0: science. And one villain stands in the way and one hero is coming to get it. Jordan versus Uncle Tony, coming to you live in 2022, the fight for gravity. I think that's a good way to surmise it. I think having that NFT really does it well. And I I can see Jordan saying to himself,
1: Just Father Sky, Mother Earth, and your dear old Uncle Tony.
0: Damn straight. And uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to hop into uh, some more historical content and figures with uh, Judas and the Black Messiah.
1: Welcome back to Uncle Jay's Lounge. I hope you guys enjoyed that little break, got comfy, and are getting ready to talk about something that is equally interesting and trendy to today's time. So we're going to be talking about Judas and the Black Messiah, which is a loose biography or autobiography of Fred Hampton's life. Well, You know what? They actually call those documentaries, and I just realized that now. So... Without further ado, Julian, since we both know so much about Fred Hampton and his journey, especially being such a young, precocious kid, what was your first instinct or reaction to the movie? I'm always in awe of how well British actors transition
0: into American figures. And I think Daniel Kaluuya did an excellent job nailing the dialect of chicago for fred hampton it sounds very similar if you've heard any of his live speeches which was very impressive i also read that somewhere down the line he was actually doing opera training to help his project his voice to the back of the room like an activist would be doing during that time and bring the character to life i think that did a phenomenal job and he portrayed him well my one gripe is that they never really touch on the impact and the charisma that Fred Hampton has, because he was actually 21 at the age of his death. They mentioned at the end, but it's never touched on. So you feel like you're watching this well, veteran, wise individual seeing all these problems but in truth, he was just a 20 year old, 21 year old kid who saw where he wanted to go and used his skills, his intrinsic skills to put him in a position to do so. What were your initial reactions to the film?
1: That obviously was one of the really big ones because I feel like, like you said, that was some of his most powerful jet fuel to get into people's minds and the hearts and get his ideas across to a lot of people. And I think that, you know, in a way that they showed his ability to his ability to reach out to people that might not necessarily be from his same background or people that he would naturally interact with, especially when it came to his interaction with a whole bunch of different groups, whether it be gangsters or disenfranchised whites and things of that nature. I, I feel like they, they did that a real disservice. And if they were to do it over, I hope, or, you know, I would expect them to kind of give a little bit, bit more context on his like high school days because there was a lot of good stuff and the the kind of blossomings or growths of his civil servant activities from there as far as pushing to get teachers of color into the chicago school board so yeah i would definitely agree with that and also man i i feel like we kind of maybe i missed the boat on a little bit of these things but The Black Panther Party movement, the one that Fred Hampton was manning, was a lot less wantonly violent than the movie made them seem, which really threw me off watching it. Did that happen to you? That's a great observation. And
0: that's where some of the gripes you're seeing in modern film and TV today is made for entertainment and how that translates to the screen. And I can see why they portrayed this chapter of the Black Panthers in a certain way for that entertainment purposes and kind of surmising what was happening. And it gives them more of a emotion and motive to show that they're truly fighting for what they believe in. However, if you take a step back and you're familiar with it, you can kind of see a lot of these events that are occurring don't happen that often as it seems in these pivotal moments, because we're looking at the last I guess you're looking at a a few years prior to Fred Hampton's death, but a lot of the instances are very provoked and it's kind of rage boiling over at a certain point in retaliation from the Black Panthers as it is them outright looking and seeking this type of violence. But that makes me ask the bigger question. Do you think that this film would have done more justice you know, just staying as this film, or do you think this would have done more justice as an episodic series on something, a streaming service that covers that growth and development a bit more? Or do you think this does a good job of kind of capturing that for the general audience?
1: Man, that is a really, really good question. And I, I particularly like it because we've had episodic journeys that have been super, super successful. One, for instance, The Last Dance. And I think that there's so much power in that. And I think also that takes a lot of pressure off of trying to make it so punchy and, and quick and very concise. And I think that that would be amazing, number one, because you can like section off parts of his life. And there's parts of his life that actually go before his life. So you know, Fred Hampton is kind of a chemistry concoction or byproduct of a lot of amazing people around his time of growing up. So we're talking Muhammad Ali, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, people like that, where you actually, you're not doing him justice if you just look at Fred Hampton as an isolated figure, because he's a mosaic of a lot of interesting and really outstanding men. So I think that that would be really great. And then there's also little tidbits like his mom babysat Emmett Till, which is kind of one of those Easter eggs that if you really dived into the weeds, you would know that was brought up into the film, which I thought was great. So having little bits and pieces like that would be good. Also after his death, people actually going to see him and look walking through the crime scene itself would actually be really good to highlight because that did happen, and it was also one of the more pivotal things to get the community community on the Black Panther's side as far as that uh, assassination. Plus, the looking at the Weatherman group, which I think was another Easter egg in the film. If they went in, and you know, you got to see them storm into that Pennsylvania office of the FBI. I think that that would also be another game changer because not only in there you have kind of information on fred hampton but you also have information on a lot of the things that they tried to do to martin luther king which could also set up for another episode touched on it brilliantly i think in my in something of this scope and of
0: this nature you know it's not a very refined one incident type of thing there's so many variables that are happening that it makes it more worth diving into in an episodic way and i think to me you know i've read the assassination of fred hampton how the FBI and the Chicago police murdered a Black Panther. And that is more, that book is focused on, if you're interested in the the court proceedings and why it took so long for his family and family members to get a portion, a fraction of what they deserved for this assassination after the COINTELPRO documents released and how long and nefarious that court process was for that law office that was helping with the Black Panthers at the time. Truly interesting. And I think to your point, Jordan, too, there is seeing the development of a character makes you understand their position more, but it also could give you more of a viewpoint in what was happening in the government at that time because Mm -hmm. they touch on it, how the government is, essentially in this mind frame that they're scared of a large national uprising from minorities. That's going to affect their government, but there are other factors that are coming into there that would be interesting to extrapolate and go on because there are official documents there to support those episodes. So it would be interesting over time to see more of that play out. And I think entertainment in general is going towards those episodic series. However, I think this film does a good job of an intro to those who may be interested or just a tidbit to understand you know what was happening, what the background was prior to this these events of you know historical political activists being assassinated
1: and looking at Fred Hampton as this one case Julian, one thing that I kind of pulled out of the film that I think you might be able to agree, and you kind of mentioned it there was the essentially the main villain here was. COINTELPRO, which was the counterintelligence program in the FBI. And these were the guys that monitored Fred Hampton since when he was in high school and, and, you know, inevitably executed the assassination of him. So my question to you is that, do you think, well, personally, I feel like they didn't do service to the actual enemy the whole time or the villain. I mean, you could think of Bill O'Neill as a villain, but being that he was kind of the main protagonist in a lot of, a lot of these scenarios in the movie, you can all see him as something different. But do you think that the reason that they didn't do so much service to the villain itself is because it was an idea or was there another reason in your perspective, or maybe you thought that they did, you know, the villain fine? I think it's a
0: balance. I think it's, that side of things with Pro was so, it's so convoluted. And they kind of hint at it a little bit with Detective Roy Mitchell, played by Jesse Plemons, who's a phenomenal actor, where he kind of sees the, the problems happening with this project where it's like, oh, you have another informant that I don't know about? Oh, your informant killed someone in another state? Oh, your informant's here and that you've just killed that informant and no one knows? you're seeing some of those emotions play in his head and they're asking about his family and you're kind of getting a small scope through Jesse Plemons character. But I think the amount on the back end that's happening in Coen Pro, maybe like we touched on just, there's so much information that doesn't fit into the movie where they try to just at least keep the focus on Bill O'Neill and his role and how he was positioned there and where Fred Hampton was at, at his point in life understand the incident more rather than bring in external information that requires a lot more time to understand truly what's
1: going on you probably nailed it right there and number one it just takes a lot of trust for you know an audience member to follow somebody along the journey to such depths because this also ties back to us and russia interactions during that time with a lot of fear of you know communism marxism and things of that nature so you'd really have to be okay with walking through a lot of different things in history and it's i mean they're all connected by a thread so to actually see where one starts you have to go before when it actually exists in time so i think you're right in the fact that there's just so much to get through and it also kind of makes you feel a little bit better because the government sucks is kind of the global anthem right now for a lot of things.
0: There's a lot of opinion of that out there. And so I guess the this back and Jordan, I have to ask you from Judas and the Black Messiah and the previous conversation about non-fungible tokens. And we use some historical examples from this film or from this incident. Where do you think a valuable non-fungible token would occur in this series of events?
1: You know what, man? I think really valuable one i mean i guess as far as like memorabilia and stuff like that if you had like a non-fungible token on like a vr step through of fred hampton crime scene before after and during that would be really good not that that you know that you could get anything like that but if you're talking historically i think that would be a go-to or of course one of his speeches but uh what are you thinking damn straight Hey nani hey nani I uh yeah I agree with the speeches and I think the
0: the crime scene maybe photos or documents a little bit more tangible turned into digital assets would be something that'd be you know unique and fun to have at the at the end of the day you know that's where non-fungible tokens you know are interesting they're just another collectible and you know you look at judas and black messiah a very historical event in american society that had repercussions and thoughts and opportunities growing throughout the world at that time and viewpoints. very pivotal time and if you're interested in judas and black messiah you can find it on hbo max or maybe it's in a theater if that theater
1: is open near you
0: but that's non-fungible tokens in judas and the black messiah and who shot fred hampton
1: particularly to the listeners. Number one, thanks for just kind of kicking it in the lounge for 37 minutes. Also, I think that this is like so interesting that we, you know, step from one end of the spectrum and something that is so future to talking about a historical moment and uh, you know, it's interconnected in some sort of way. So, and I think that there's so many important things looking back and looking forward that you can gain from your gain and augment your present state so hopefully you got something from this because uh we got something from just kind of like leading you on the journey too thanks for kicking it with us if you listened if you enjoyed our little voice
0: and soundboard drops go ahead and submit your own sound to us we'd love that Uh, we'll be back next tuesday as always to kick in the lounge eat some snacks look at the lava lamp hang out and have a casual conversation so hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and we will catch you next week